at no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Yeah, normally that gets a chuckle out of people, you know, rational thoughts and all that. But I got some great rational thoughts today with our guest. Uh, make sure you click below and subscribe, get the show notes there and some really cool ideas from our guest. Um, he is a military veteran. Thank you for your service. Husband, father of three crazy monkeys. I'm sorry, he means kids. And when he's not doing dad things, he's an avid book marketer and one of the best ones out there, quite frankly. Um, he works in both publishing and book marketing has been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, um, Entrepreneur, Alley, and even Market Watch. So he's been blessed to have worked with many New York Times bestselling authors in multiple genres and topics, including uh, topics like well, authors like Ted Decker, Orson Scott Card, Kevin Anderson, and more. He's been a pay consultant to major publishing companies, helping with digital sales, advertisement methods, and sales optimization. Welcome to our show. Dave Chesson. Dave, how are you today? No, I'm not too bad. Thanks for having me. You still now you still use the picture of you with the sunglasses and the baby from I think yeah. uh, I think they stole that and used it in uh hangover, right? Yeah, pretty much, right? Um yeah, I still have it. Matter of fact, I think when my little guy gets a little bit older, we'll do a recreation of it, except that you know he'll be a lot bigger and I'll be like, yeah, you know, just holding on for dear life. Um, but yeah. And that was actually a real fun uh, picture. We got that taken in the jungles of Sri Lanka. We were about to get on an elephant to ride through the uh, jungle. Oh, and wow. yeah, and my wife looks over at me and she goes, and by the way, it's a bareback on an elephant. Oh right? my gosh, yeah. And she looks over at me and she says, she's like, how are you going to ride on an elephant with our son like that? And I said, well, like these. And so I posed and my older daughter uh -huh. snapped a picture. But I'm not gonna lie, I got on that elephant and like most cases as a man, uh, I got up there and was like, oh my goodness, my wife was right. This is really stupid. Uh, so I <laughs> held on for dear life and just rolled you didn't say that through. Out, you didn't say that out loud, did you? Uh, no, no, no. You know, it's typically not. Uh, I, just, I got off the elephant at the end of it. And I was like, that was easy. <laughs> but nice. yes to say. So that's the story behind that picture. Beautiful. That's great. Well, you've um, you've got this company, uh, Kindlepreneur. And you've got so much value there and whatnot. Um, give us a couple ideas of what you can share today to keep us interested for the next 20, 25 minutes. Sure. Well, uh, you know, the biggest thing about Kindlepreneur was is that I wanted to create a place where when you read one article, you're not only able to get the information you need, but you can turn around and take action. That's right. why you're not going to find these kind of like uh, fluffy articles or anything. It's more dig right into it. Uh, you know, give everything somebody needs, but more importantly, make sure that they can get something out of it. So we designed every article that way. Uh, one of the other things that's really helped me as well is, is that I have access to some incredibly talented programmers. And so we've created a lot of, of free tools uh, throughout. And that can be from the Kindle calculator, which translates the ABSR, the Amazon bestseller rank of a book, and actually tells you roughly how many books that day the book sold. So you can always check to see how much money other books are making. Uh, we created a book description generator. Um, okay. Yeah. And I'm sorry, slow down that first one. I've had some people sure. ask about that. They're yeah. asking, how do I know, um, you know, how, how well a book is doing? And think about this, folks. 
when you look at the listings on Amazon, okay, it's got like reviews, fine, maybe ranking, but how do you know how many books they might've sold? Dave's software has a brilliant algorithm that estimates that pretty accurately. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, we keep it up to date with uh, other publishing companies and the data that's out there. Um, this is really cool because you can use it to see if an idea is selling well or not. So maybe there's a type of book that you want to write instead of just writing it and hoping for the best, you can go to Amazon and actually look at the other books that cover that topic and see how much money they're making. Another thing that really helps too is, is that when you're listening to um, people or you're, you're hearing them talk about how successful they are, well, you can now go to Amazon and actually check to see how successful beyond whether or not they're a best-selling author or something like that. You can see how much money that, that day they made from that book. Um, and so that's a really fun tool uh, that people can use for varying different, you know, different ways. Uh, you can even use it to help you to figure out how many books that day you would need to sell in order to be the new number one bestseller for a particular category. Um, so yeah, so that's the Kindle calculator. The other one that we created was the book description generator. And a lot of authors don't know this, but you can actually use some, you can do some HTML in order to make your book description look better. You can make certain words bigger, bold, you can do bulleted, you can do uh, paragraphs that are spaced, paragraphs that are right next to each other, um, and a whole bunch of other things. But the problem is most authors are not programmers. We don't know HTML. Uh, some do, but most don't. And so what we did was we created what we call WYSIWYG, which is stands for what you see is what you get. Uh, you write in your book description, you highlight what you want, you click the button to make it look exactly the way you want it. And what's really cool is that what you see inside the tool is exactly how it will look on Amazon. And when you like it and you think it's great, you click a little button, get the code and just copy and paste right into KDP and you're good to go. I gotta tell you, when people look at a book description, um, it's such a huge difference to see bold, high, you know, bold and bullet points and paragraphs. It actually makes it more readable. Um, have you taken a look like at a heat map of what people do when they look at a book before they buy it in terms of reviews and description, all that stuff? Actually, it's funny you ask. I just got yeah. back speaking at Nink, um, and we paid a company to do this external heat map. Now, see, here's the thing about heat maps, right? Um, if you own the website, it's very easy to get a heat map. Um, so we don't own Amazon. And what we did was we actually had a company bring a whole bunch of people in and there was a special computer that had a, a camera on it that monitored exactly where the eye the pupil was looking on the screen and where the where their mouse was and where they interacted and it developed these heat maps so that we could see what people did when they went to an Amazon sales page. And specifically for the book description, we found that the hook, the, the first sentence or two that you put at the top, it needs to be a hook. It needs to be something that gets catches their attention and makes them read. Now, there's two things about this. The first is designing your hook, designing that first sentence or two to be bold and as large as possible. The reason for this is that if you look at your Amazon sales page, you'll notice there's a lot of stuff above it and a lot of stuff below it, and it sandwiches it. And if you just make it normal font, people are just not going to see it unless they're actively looking for your book description. Uh, so this is important to make it stand out. The second part to it is making sure that it catches them, it hooks them, and they want to read more because you have to click to see more. And so we found that when an author spends adequate amount of time developing a hook 
and making it bigger, there was a 78% chance that the, or 78% better chance that they would click to read even further. But when somebody didn't do that, it was a very low chance that anybody would go on to read the book description from that point on. So highly recommend doing that. And yeah, we did do a heat map for it. And designing those book descriptions are so easy thanks to the free tool. And we don't even collect email for it. So anybody can go there, use it as much as they want, be good to go. That's like that whole guy that came out the other day, uh, uh, read about uh, he's trying to eliminate all passwords, right? Here we are. Dave is giving away these amazing tools like, eh, we'll just build some reputation on a no, no opt in. That's great yeah. for that tool. Where's, but where do you, what, what's, what's your business model then? What are you, what are you selling? Well, in truth, what we have at, at Kindlepreneurs, we have some affiliate links from time to time when we talk about certain products. Uh, I've also built other software as well um, that are paid products. One of the biggest ones is uh, Publisher Rocket. Uh, basically, it's like book marketing software to the max. Uh, it helps you to find the right keywords by telling you what phrases people search as well as how many people search it per month. It tells you how much money those keywords are making um, and a whole bunch more. It also helps you to select uh, your Amazon categories. There's 14,000 of them and we've got them all listed and you can quickly find the best ones, the ones that give you the best chance of being a best-selling author. So no guessing there. And we help with understanding the market as well as with your Amazon ads. So that's one of them. But again, I think a lot of it is, is that there are a lot of tools that people create and, um, you know, we just wanted to make sure that there was ways for authors to, to be able to get what they need without being like forefront at that point. So. Amazing. You know, a lot of authors and some of my clients, of course, are all like focusing on, you know, their content, which is great. And I spend a lot of time on the cover and the title. Um, very rarely do we go down the Kindle Rocket version and find out what people are searching for. They're really focusing on the intrinsic value, what they're trying to say, or maybe be cutesy or impactful. Um, what's the difference for an author who's doing their, their marketing outside of Amazon Versus somebody who's focusing on people who's searching Amazon. Is there a big difference there in, in, in reach? Not really. We've been analyzing a lot with, um, so one of the reasons I changed the, the name from KDP Rocket to Publisher Rocket is because we yeah. started working with Barnes & Noble and Kobo and uh, yeah. iTunes to try to incorporate them. The problem is, is that those companies are very lethargic and uh, hard to um, really get motivated. But that being said, though, we've collected enough data to actually show that if a search term is very popular or more popular on Amazon than search term B, it generally is about the same proportionally. Um, you know, it's just there's a lot less people on iTunes and a lot less people on Barnes and Noble than there is Amazon in that respect. We haven't really seen much of a difference um, between a particular keyword in the different markets. It just seems mm -hmm. to be generally the same. Now, actually, to be true, to to go a little bit di deeper in that answer. Yeah, sure, yeah. About three or four years ago, it was a, there were a couple of demographic keywords that were different. Uh, what we found was like in Barnes and Noble, there was generally an older generation on Barnes and Noble. And so there were certain keywords or phrases or types that had a higher proportion on Barnes and Noble than they were like on Amazon. This was things like um, how to crochet or, you know, going back to school. Uh, when you're retired, like some of those phrases actually had a higher portion. So we believe yeah. that that was probably because of the older demographic. But yeah. now, though, we think it's evened out and we think that um, it's just 
pretty much proportional. Yeah, how to buy a walker, where to get the best price of Metamucil, things like that. <laughs> I get it. It's fine. Okay. Or something. But yeah, so again, that was that was one interesting component. But we're still trying to work with those companies to uh -huh. uh, get them incorporated. They're just they're really hard to deal with. I've done a lot yeah. of consulting with uh, BNN Press. Mm -hmm. uh, I really love the team that's there. I think they're phenomenal. I think that if they can actually launch the stuff that they want to, I believe it could really turn the tide between. Really? Yeah, um, they're really looking at trying to open up and have deep analytics. So if you publish your book on Barnes and Noble, um, you'll be able to go in and actually see what keywords people typed in and then bought you. And and they're going to make oh. that like open for free so that you could see that you can also do a whole bunch more in analytics. And the reason why I love this for them is that if they did that, I would start doing more Facebook advertising pointing to them than yeah. Amazon, because I want to know what's working so I can then take that knowledge and apply it to others. I mean, it would be brilliant. I think it's a phenomenal way to motivate authors sure. to send traffic to them to then see what's happening. You could even look at the conversion rates too. So say, yeah. for example, you send an email that sent everybody to BNN Press. Mm -hmm. You could see mm -hmm. what the conversion rate was from the email, you know, and then you could say, wow, well, that was much better than my last one. And so now authors have a little bit more power because they have the ability to look in. Now, before everybody gets super excited about this, the problem is, and this is pretty much the thing across all of these major markets, is that while the BNN Press team is phenomenal and they're great, um, they're kind of treated like the stepchild in a very bad relationship. Um, they, And this is just kind of my my feeling from what I've heard up the chain, but they're, they don't have the power to, to make those changes. Um, and so they're fighting a huge bureaucratic war and I don't really think they're winning. So you mean, you mean a war between Barnes and Noble corporate and the press, right? Right. Well, no Barnes and Noble, everything. Cause there's so many, cause Barnes and Noble is just bought by a, a company in Europe. Um, and on top of that, so the, even before the purchase, it was a bit of a yeah. pain because everybody yeah. else had a much bigger voice than what BNN press had you know, the, the, yeah. the self-publishing arm of it. Um, and then they got bought by this bigger company and that bigger company is trying to turn it into something else as well. And I just think that they're left way behind. But um, if yeah. they gave them control and gave them the authority to implement those things efficiently um, yeah. and effectively, I really think that that one particular idea would be a game changer and would make more authors give them more yeah. attention and credence and focus because of the power of that information. You know, we don't, I don't never thought about this, but you know, we're saying like Amazon owning the world now, right? Everything is mm -hmm. bought from Amazon, whether it's, you know, toothpaste or, or books. And we think they're in control, but I'm guessing there's a lot more self-published books than published books on Amazon. Is that true? Oh, there are a lot more on Amazon. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if all the self, if, if most, or if even some hefty percentage of self-publishing authors new and this is this in the future of course uh the ability to track their traffic to barnes and noble and drove traffic there it could it could make it it could make a dent on the on the on the the gorilla there and, that, and that's exactly what i'm telling them is is that yeah. if their true desire is to not just get more books on them but mm -hmm. to get to motivate authors to send people to them because that's what we're, nobody's really doing that. When we send out an email, we may put a link to be an impress, you know, to Barnes and Noble, but we don't push Barnes and Noble. We push Amazon and Amazon number one. If somebody's like, hey, Dave, where could get your book? I send them the Amazon link because I just assume that's going to work. Well, if they really want to drive more traffic and more buyers, 
Something like that is the way to do it. Not something where we did this one thing or, you know, we're, we're going to motivate people to put their books on us. Okay. But that doesn't drive the, like that doesn't change a revenue stream. And so anyways, all in all, the biggest thing about them is a uh, great idea. Great team. Just some, you know, I would say it's, maybe a new CEO well, to the company. Let's make a dinosaur move. You know, why don't we do a uh, a petition or something, Dave? You know, we could get uh, all of our clients and friends and write a letter or sign a petition. And say, hey guys, embrace what Dave is suggesting here. It'll it'll make you more revenue and yeah. I, I jokingly say that the best thing Amazon could do is hire me as a consultant because I'd I'd immediately <laughs> have about five or six things just for them that would like dramatically change things. And I think the same thing about right. Barnes and Noble, and that's not being cocky or so. It's just being the guy on the outside that looks no, at it and is kind of like, you know, if you just did this one thing, that would be huge. And yeah. having Doug as a software developer inside of Amazon, I've gotten I've gotten the ability to look under the hood. And yeah. see a lot more of what's going on in there. And I, like I said, there are some easy suggestions that they're just missing. Mm. But then you look at the other companies, and I think they're just focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't know anybody's bought a Nook. You yeah, know? it's like yeah. sorry, you guys missed the boat on that one. It's just tough. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So I want to hear some stories about some of the success you've had, or even some of the failures of authors of uh, work with you. And you mentioned some New York Times bestsellers, and whatnot. So give me a. Um, a feel good story of, uh, you know, David and Goliath or something. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, really here's, um, there's a couple of examples that I, I personally like that kind of show the extent of books beyond, um, first off, uh, there was a time and I don't have the rights to use this person's name, so I can only say profession and some of the information, but, uh, this person was a lawyer, um, and was a DUI lawyer to be exact. And this particular person um decided you know through talking to other authors and everything like that that it might be a good idea to write a book but here's the thing though uh it wasn't just about writing some book instead uh kind of working with him realized that hey his number one clientele are those who get in trouble right <laughs> those who get a dui but the first thing that anybody ever asks when they get one is oh my gosh what do i do now so what he had was he had his paralegal put together his notes and basically helped to form a book on what to do when you get a DUI. Um, now, of course, granted, the title was changed a little bit to make it even better, but uh, the subtitle made very clear what, who, uh, who this book was for and what it will deliver. But here's what he did, though. It wasn't just about hitting that, that bestseller mark or making some extra sales. You see, now when he has a person come into the office, okay, if you're trying to find the right DUI lawyer, you're looking at things like, okay, well, where did they go to school? Like, I don't, I wouldn't even know what to look in a in for a lawyer. I mean, maybe if I heard something that this guy was great, I'd take it. But most people who walk in don't have that kind of knowledge or experience, and they don't really know what to base their decision off of. However, though, this guy, when you walk in the door, instead of handing them a business card like every other lawyer. Um, and just looking like every other lawyer, he hands them their book. And here's the kicker about this. The book, first off, you're not going to throw that in the trash, right? It's so hard to throw a book in the trash. And second off, it is providing a lot of value. And now granted, he used to hand them like some papers that would show, but that doesn't mean anything. Handing them that book was a deal killer. Like it was amazing. When he did that, his conversion rates on clients skyrocketed. Uh, because now he's seen as the authority on the subject matter. He has the book. They they won't throw it away. They actually want to read it. They start interacting with him. And so he started landing uh, clients like crazy. 
The second thing that really happened because of this was that since he's labeled a best-selling author on the subject, uh, he's constantly being called in, um, you know, by, well, this sounds terrible when I say it, but by the police to come in and give speeches and talk about, you know, the entire thing. When Mothers Against Drunk Driving uh, had some presentation, they wanted him because he was a best-selling author, not because he was the best you know, lawyer, I don't know that maybe he is, um, but because they knew that he was a best-selling author on the subject. And so they wanted him to be a part of that. And this just kind of grew into him just being a small fish in a big ocean because it was a big city that he worked in uh, into being the biggest name. And all it took was one book. So to kind of recap on this particular story, we as authors, you know, sometimes one thing you can really do is look at the tertiary effects beyond just the sales of the book and how that may affect you. Uh, another thing too is like when I was working with um, Orson Scott Card or as he goes by Scott, um, you know, I've actually seen this a lot with a whole bunch of big name authors in the industry. Um, not just him, but a whole bunch of others. What happens is, is that they, their entire life has been centered around being, you know, of course, phenomenal writers, but they're at the, at the uh, mercy of the publishing company. Many a times these guys have written books that they love or they think are great, but they were just rejected by the publishing company. And so they end up having all these books sitting in their, you know, on their hard drive that have just never seen the light of day. Now, imagine someone like Orson Scott Card um, taking a book that he wrote that he likes. And then if he learns the self-publishing mode, okay, so he finds his own editor because, you know, he's always just dependent on, on the publishing company. He gets a book cover done and then he just publishes it and it's a new Orson Scott card book. Um, oh, and by the way, he gets the 70% of the sale instead of what he gets based depending on the deal he signed or which publishing company it is. Um, that's a huge opportunity. So it's like for a lot of these authors, they have a lot of works that have never seen the light of day only because they've always been a part of the gatekeepers of the publishing companies and whether or not the company wanted to pay for that or not. And so now they're starting to say, huh, you know what? I've got some works. That's some money I've just left sitting there. And uh, so a lot of these bigger authors are now getting into it because they see the point. And I'll just end this by, by saying too, like five years ago, most published authors look down on self-publishing as kind of this whole like, well, they only self-published because they didn't make it. Um, and a lot of publishing companies, you know, truly look down on, on self-publishing. But the tide is completely turning. Uh, now, published authors are looking at opportunities of making that 70% that they can get on Amazon if they price it right. Uh, and being able to sell works of theirs. And now publishing companies are actually looking at authors self-published authors as potential clients, um, which makes complete sense, right? Publishing companies want to sell books that they know are really good or from authors that know how to sell that have a name or something like that, right? Well, you can go to Amazon and you can look at a whole bunch of authors, you know, that are self-published because they don't have a publishing company listed and that are raking in dough or showing that these this book is well-loved. And now publishing companies can say, hey, you know what? we could work with that person and we already know they're good at what they do. And so self-published authors are now getting recruited. I almost call it like free agency in, you know, in football, right? You know, you go and you, you see the history of somebody and you're like, Oh, we need that linebacker, you know, bring them in instead of, you know, okay, show it to my tryout, see what happens. Maybe I'll look at you. And so I see this huge shift across the board from published authors and publishing companies realizing the importance of self-publishing and where it's a great area to start looking for talent or opportunity.
Absolutely. You know, I, I keep thinking about the shifts in the past, you know, 10, 15 years. I'm like, what do publishing companies do anymore? I mean, they used to do book signings and launches for people back in the day. And now I think what 90% of them have been gone out of business in the past 20 years. And I don't even know what they do. I, I asked a couple of clients once, I said, well, I want to go with a publisher. I said, okay, any reason, particular reason why? Oh, reputation. And I asked him just two questions. So, okay, um, what's the last best book you've read? Oh, this title. I said, don't look at it right now. Tell me who the publisher was. <laughs> they never know. Right. You know, yeah. Imprint in the spine. It means nothing to me. Well, you know, and the other thing that's really happening because of what I just said too, is most publishers mm -hmm. are less likely to give chance to a yes. no-name author with no assets or no background. That's right. Um, you know, a, a story I like to tell people is about this woman, a sing, single mother, uh, her and her child would basically sit in the coffee shop. She'd write every day and she's building out this book. And so finally, when she was done, she she was lucky to land an agent and the agent shopped the book around from publisher to publisher to publisher and they all rejected her. Um, she got, I think it was about the 11th rejection when finally the agent submitted the book uh, to a one last publisher and basically said, hey, I'm calling in a favor. I need you to read this. That publisher took the book, took the first chapter, gave it to his 13 year old daughter, said, here, you read it. You know, all of a sudden she came back and me and she's like, give me chapter two. And he's like, whoa, wait a second. What? She's like, give me chapter two. This is amazing. And he's like, huh? OK, let me look at it. And he looked down and he's like, huh, Harry Potter. Maybe I should give this a chance. The point of the story is to highlight the fact that here was one of the biggest money making books in recent history. And, I, you know, when you put it all together, it's been billion dollar um, company with all the things, the movies, all of that came together. And yet so many editors rejected it. So I'm here to say is, is that if it wasn't for the fact that her agent pulled strings and, and, and literally called in a favor, that book may never have hit it. That was back in the day when authors really had to rely on just publishers and they didn't have an opportunity to do it themselves. Nowadays, publishing companies want to see that this author has an email list, that they clearly have books, that the books have made sales, that there are great reviews. So it's not, you know, shoddy work. And they're using that to gauge their decision more so than before. I was just talking to a, um, a New York Times bestselling author actually last night at a, at a dinner party. Um, and because of the quote, I won't say his name, but we were talking about publishing companies. We were just talking about this and we we're sort of laughing about it because it was you know, it's like they just don't accept. And I was like, he was listing off the things that I just said. it, And I, I literally jumped on. I was like, and email. And he goes, oh, good Lord. Yes, email. Like that is a dollar sign to him. So whether or not you want to jump into publishing or not, you do understand you will have to learn book marketing and it's going to benefit you even if you want to end up going into published in the published world. Yeah, I interviewed a guy at Podcast Movement who got a, a publishing deal. And he took his advance, his advance was pretty hefty. I guess he had a good list, right? But he, he had to take his entire advance plus some money and he invested six figures in his marketing to launch his own book mm. for a publishing company that owned the rights to his book. Mm -hmm. And he got the, you know, single digit, you know, royalty for it. And, yeah. you know, it's like, this is kind of interesting. I just don't know what, I mean, other the distribution, do they... What can they do that you can't do on your own distribution wise bookstores, I guess, but well, well, to give published companies kind of, kind of like a, 
and this is about a mass majority of publishing companies and how they work, okay? Uh, they have a certain number of books that they're going to sign a quarter. That's just it, right? Uh, let's just say it's 20, okay? However, though, they may only have the um, finance or the uh, resources in order to actually legitimately back two of those, okay? So they sign the 20, and the other 18... Basically, the publishing company is going to be like, all right, we're going to do these things. We're going to put you through the conveyor belt. We're going to have our, you know, book cover designer. We're going to get it formed, you know, formatted. We'll throw it up on the markets. Um, the next thing they say is, we expect you to sell 10,000 copies in the next quarter. And all of a sudden, the published author is like, oh, okay. Uh, I thought you guys were going to do that. And they're like, well, yeah, we're going to do stuff. But we expect you to, though, if this book doesn't hit 10,000 copies or whatever, it's an arbitrary number I'm just making up right now. Um, but if it doesn't hit that moment, that point, you won't hear from us again. <laughs> they won't say that last part, but that's kind of what happens. And so the published author is like, okay, and they give you a list of all these things you can do and whatever. Um, and so it's on you to do that. Now, let's go over to the other two, okay? Those are the ones where... The, the publishing company believes is going to be their biggest hit and therefore they're going to put the most into it uh to help it get and and to actually like not only will that author do some marketing themselves but the company will roll up its sleeves and do a lot of marketing um and so the what you deal with and what you experience is completely different between the two if you're one of the two people that got you know whatever that that percentage is you know you're benefiting from the publishing company. And I would also say too, one sign that you're probably going to be in that team is if they paid you up front and they paid you a good amount of money. The reason for that is you as an author got the money and they're going to work to get their money back. Okay. They're, they're not going to give you a hundred thousand dollars and, you know, um, do nothing. And, oh boy, they only sold 10,000. Right. So if your contract gives you money up front, there's a good chance they're going to work to at least get their money back. So that's a sign that you're in the better group. If you're not, if you didn't get that really nice upfront cash or so, what you are is a gamble, you know, a low cost, low risk gamble. They're going to gamble on you, see if it works. Hey, if you sell it good. And if you do hit your mark, then they'll be like, oh, interesting. Maybe we should do more with this. If you don't hit your mark, it's going to be one of those cases where and you see it on, on Facebook groups or whatever, the author feels like, you know, their, their book is held ransom because they didn't hit their mark. And now the publishing company doesn't talk to them. They won't answer their emails. They, they no longer respond. And the author can't do anything about their book. They Even if they wanted to change the cover or improve it or do ads, they got nothing. And so the term I see time and time again is their yeah. book is held ransom. Yeah, it's, it's not technically their book anymore, right? They sold nope. the rights for royalties. The yep. IP is belongs to the publisher. Exactly. Well, and you're, some you're, actually will buy back the IP, uh, especially yeah. if they hit success later and then they want right. their book back so they can give it a chance because they, you know, it's their baby. I've seen that a lot too. Yeah, I think I think Kiyosaki did that. I think he did self-publish first, then got a publishing deal, then went back to self-publishing, I think, and I talked to him. Um, what's the what's if you had to give a a new author some advice on what they could do, like you know, the top three or five things they could do. I know when there's like a thousand things you can do, but what would the top handful of things a person could do to position their book properly and also market it? Hmm. Well, that, I mean, that could, that could be like an all day response right there. Uh, there's a website called Kindlepreneur uh, that's devoted. That's right. To um, I would Go say Kindlepreneur.com, folks. He's got a lot of great information there. A lot of free and free good stuff too. So yeah. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear this answer, but man, the book cover makes or breaks a book. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know we like the old adage of never judge a book by its cover. Um, but when it comes to book marketing, everybody judges a book by its cover. Uh, yeah. The cover helps me to know who this is for, what it does, mm-hmm. what kind of story it is, depending on its fiction or fi- nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, like case in point, like, uh, you know, when I was working with, with Scott, uh, Orson Scott card, um, he told me the story about Ender's Game. And <laughs> this to me has changed the way I look at things. When he wrote Ender's Game, which is a Hugo Nebula award winning book, there was a movie made out about it, but it was written back in the 80s. Um, he had said that he presented the book to the publishing company and they showed him this cover. And for anybody who remembers the original cover, it was like a giant spaceship, but there was a little spaceship coming out of the dock and then flying away, right? Well, Scott was ticked. He hated it. He was like, that's not my book. You know, like there's no scene like that. And the publishing company goes, Scott, Scott, look, it's it's not supposed to be a scene of your book. What it is is that this is a sci-fi military book. And so we've chosen a sci-fi, like what a sci-fi military reader would expect to see on a sci-fi military cover. So this is the cover you get. Now, Scott, like years later, like all of a sudden realized they were so right. It was about that. That was, and I started laughing at that point when he told me this, because I was like, Scott, that's exactly how I found you. I was like, I was in a library. I got in trouble. The librarian sent me to the back. She was like, you're going to go find a book and you're going to read it in one week. And if you don't, I'll report you to the principal, you know, because I was being, <laughs> I was being a middle schooler, you know. Um, and so I walked back there and I was literally just perusing. I had no idea what I wanted. And I saw on the spine of a book, a, a spaceship. And I was like, ah, I like Star Wars. I'll give it that a try. Pulled it out. It was like one of my all time favorite books. And it was just because I looked at the cover and even read the back. I just saw this looks like my kind of book. I will go for it. And so I say from a marketing standpoint, if you confuse, you lose. So if your book, if you get way too cutesy or creative or you try to, you know, create something so original, like the market might not understand what you're going for and therefore not know what kind of story you're trying to sell. Or also the market might not know who this is for. Okay, Uh, a great example for this in nonfiction is a book that was on going back to school and all it had was an image of a school. Okay. Um, in this case though, the school, it wasn't clear what kind of school it was. It wasn't clear who it's for. Cause let me tell you, if I'm going back to get my GED, that's different than if I'm going back to get my college degree or if I'm going back to get my master's because, you know, cause maybe I'm going back to get my master's cause I want to climb the corporate ladder. Maybe I'm going back to get my GED cause I was never able to do that. And so I'm going to do it. Maybe I'm going back to school for my college degree cause I'm a retired person and it's just what I want to do. Guess what? Every one of those is completely different. And if I look at your cover and I can't decipher if that's the right one for me, I'm not going to choose that. Instead, I will go down to the one that shows the old lady holding, you know, at her computer, ready to go back to school. I know that one's for me or the one of the guy in the suit, you know, who uh, looks like, you know, he's wistfully on on the college campus, you know, ready for growth. That one's the one for me. And so, again, it's really important that you have a professional, good looking cover that truly exemplifies who this is for. Um, and you don't confuse them. When you do that, the marketing, all the other things you do, the advertisement, the email, the traffic, whatever it is, all of that does better. Like it's, it's easy, um, at that point. Whereas if you have a really bad cover, 
You could be the best Amazon ads or Facebook ads person, and you're just not going to see the success. So nail that cover, and it makes a lot of other parts to marketing that much easier. It's great advice. Yeah, putting lipstick on a pig just doesn't work that well. You know, you got to really. And what we, what we do is we actually test it. We will do focus groups on the cover way before the book is even written, just to find out what's gonna what's gonna work for people, what they're gonna actually click on. You know, it's it's vital. Yeah, uh, you know, and that even comes down to even the title as well. The title says so much. Um, what is it? The Four Hour Work Week uh, yeah. by a Story. Yep. Um, yeah, originally, yep. it was like White Sands and Broadbands. Was no, no, no. It was it was um, a drug running for fun and profit, right? Yep. Well, he had a couple. He did the whole yeah. full blown A/B test on Google Ads just to see yep. which one, and then all of a sudden, the one he didn't like the most, the Four Hour Work Week, was the one yep. that won. He was like, "Okay, that makes a difference." And you know what? Yep. Uh, I don't think he would have taken off as much or he'd be yeah. even close to as famous as he is if it wasn't yeah. for actually nailing that. I, I think right. the other two sound cute, yeah, but they don't actually exemplify what we want, what the solution was. Solution, you know? not what you are, yeah. And I I'm pretty sure he actually had them click to with their credit card on there. So it was a really serious test. It wasn't like, do, what do you like? Right. Because that, that's an opinion. But when someone clicks in a credit card, I want to buy this, that is real data. That That's really right. Makes a difference, right? Dave, we could go on for, again for uh, for a long time. There's so much to cover, but we have to bring our show to a close, unfortunately. Ah. Um, well, I'd love to have you back again sometime, of course, if you if you'd like. We could talk more about marketing and stuff. Yeah, um, for sure. And we also have new tools coming out. So yeah, posted. What can we talk about today on the Kindlepreneur? What do you want to give away? Well, uh, I'll do QR two quick things. ones. Yeah, go ahead. We have the QR code generator uh, yeah. that we just came out, but we're also coming out with an ISBN barcode generator in the next week or two. Uh, so we're always coming out with new tools. But the biggest one, though, is the one that I think is really going to change the entire author community. Um, for years, the only way to format your book, the, the best way to format your book was using Vellum, uh, which only works on Mac. Uh, it's also really expensive. And it's ha it, there's a lot of features that they've just never done. Well, in about a week, uh, we'll be launching publicly um, a, a software called Atticus.io that is pretty much Vellum, but has a lot more features, better uh, chapter theme templates, and even a chapter designer inside of it. And it's going to be $100 cheaper than Vellum as well. So All we're right. really excited about that. Oh my gosh, we're spending money on Adobe InDesign with people doing things you know, manually on our books. That's, that's great news. Yeah, and we're going to take it even further because um, the truth is it's not just going to be a book formatting software. My goal mm -hmm. is to basically make it be a place where you can plan, outline, write, collaborate, oh, and nice. then format all in one. And so I like to describe what we're going to turn this into very soon is yeah. if uh, Scrivener, Google Docs, yeah. and Vellum got together and had a baby, its name would be Atticus. And it'd be easier to use in Scrivener because Scrivener is beautiful, but oh I, love, gosh. I need a big, I need a big ass screen to get that oh, thing to go. You know, where yeah, you don't need to pay two hundred dollars to buy a course on how to use it. <laughs> Let's yeah, just exactly it right. Yeah, give me the UI. Um, Dave, so thank you so much. Kindlepreneur.com, folks, go there. He's got some free tools for you, and if you really want to come out with a, a properly uh, done book, get Publisher Rocket. It's a great tool, and your title will rock. Dave, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And again, thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, that concludes the show today. Don't forget to click below and subscribe on either iTunes or our show, whatever. There's some free goodies for you. Um, this is Doug Crow with the Author Brand Show. Have a good one.